Welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus Van Staden, who has now really messed up my life because he's just switched universities from universities that I used to know how to pronounce perfectly. And I'm going to give it a try here, Kobus, to the University of the Witwatersrand, or otherwise known as Wits University. Did I get that right? Yes. Okay. Yes, that's perfect. Uh, a very good afternoon to you in Johannesburg, and uh, a very good, good evening uh, to in. Hong Kong to Roberto Castillo, who is a PhD candidate uh, from Lingnan University in the Department of Cultural Studies, and we are thrilled yes. to have him on the show today. First time on the show, but this is really going to be exciting because you've had a couple blog posts that have caught uh, a little bit of attention on Twitter, and so we're going to talk about some of your research. And a very warm welcome to you uh, to the China and Africa podcast. Thank you very much. It's also my pleasure to be here with you tonight. Wonderful. Well, we're going to kind of turn the tables tonight, because uh, as the name implies, this is the China in Africa podcast. And so today, and pretty much all this week, Roberto <laughs> is going to be our Good. guest. We're going to do the Africa in China podcast. So that is uh, official name change for this week. Um, I think we can, uh, Copus. We should also consider kind of a logo change because you know we, we've pissed off so many of our uh, of our followers with the with our logo with the Chinese flag on the African map. So maybe we should kind of take some African <laughs> flags and throw them onto the Chinese map yeah. just so that we're equal. Yes, all, all fifty-four of them. Yes, yes and so we'll squeeze them in there, and so we'll then. then will piss off any number of Chinese. So, uh, okay. So today we're going to talk about this question of you know the 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 African population in Guangzhou and in China in particular. And this is kind of this is why I'm so excited that Roberto was able to join us because this is the specialty that he is pursuing. He's been on the ground in China for what six seven years. You said. No, no. Well, I've been on the ground in China for yes, for six, seven years, but I've been doing this research for the last three years. Three years, and part、yeah. of your research is what takes you into the big African communities in China, and in particular, there's one in Guangzhou, which is in southern China. And you recently wrote a post on your Africans Africans in China dot net website, which is your blog. Again, that's、yeah. Africans in China dot net. How many Africans are there in Guangzhou, China? If you really want to know, you must. Read this, okay, Roberto. We really want to know how many Africans are there in China. Yeah, well, the thing is that, as as you read in the post, there's not a clear answer to that. There's no like,、uh, it's very difficult to find out that figure. So at this point,、um, we've been we've been basically、uh, basing our speculations on、uh, certain numbers that have been sort of. Lingering around for the last、um, three or four years, and these numbers talk about sometimes twenty thousand Africans in the city. But those numbers, as I told you, they are not、um, based on any real evidence. So、um, one of the things that I've been wondering about is how to find out, because it seems that for a lot of people it's very important to know that figure. So one of the things that I've been doing is talking to different community representatives in China. You know. Uh, in Guangzhou, you know, the Af- African presence in, in Guangzhou has been, it has reached certain level in which、um, Africans have started organizing different communities based on national origins. So I've been talking to most of these people, and after talking to many of them, I've come to the conclusion that、um, Africans based in Guangzhou, residing in Guangzhou, registered with their national community offices, wouldn't go over the ten thousand mark. 
However, uh, as you read in the post, this is quite complex. There's a lot of different types of individuals moving back and forth between China and Africa. So um, there's a lot of, of individuals that uh, are not counted within the calculations from all these um, uh, community representatives. So we can talk perhaps sometimes about more than 10,000, 20,000, and even perhaps more. The thing is that we don't really know, but we do know that the number is in the thousands. So, Cobus, it really it's, it's interesting because when, when I hear Roberto talk about the fact that, you know, there is a number that circulates out there, uh, it's not necessarily accurate, but everybody wants to know a number. It reminds me of the conversations that you and I have a lot about the number of Chinese in Africa, which is also equally yeah. impossible to calculate. Yeah, you know, so, that, so I think it's interesting that, you know, people want, I guess, numbers help us frame things. But your estimation is that from your post is 30,000 is what you think is the in Guangzhou, but just in Guangzhou. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I'm, you know, I'm considering people that would be based in Guangzhou and registered with the national community offices. And then I'm putting a lot. I think that the bulk of the population is population that are not registered and that actually I call them transients, right? This is people that are on the move. They come back several times every year, and they're doing their business. They are not basically trying to do community things in the city. So I think that there could be thousands of, of these individuals. Um, so one, one of the points that you made in your piece that, that I found really interesting is that there are different kinds of cultures of, of dealing with visas from, you know, kind of relating to people from different African countries. So you make the point that Nigerians tend to overstay their visas occasionally while Angolans don't. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about what you learned about these different cultures of, of dealing with visas. Yeah, you know, first of all, um, when we, this, and like a two sides answer to this question. First of all, when we talk about uh, visa regimes in China concerning African countries, um, it pretty much depends on the level of the national, uh, national relationship between China and different African countries as to what kinds of visas can they get and with what is the ease of get, the ease of getting visas for instance um, it seems that in the last few years relationships between Angola and China have been quite um, close so it seems uh, it's quite easy for Angolans to get visas either in Angola or to renew visas in China so um, Angolans as compared to Nigerians who uh, although they, I, I, I know that they, that Nigeria has an important, it's an strategic, an strategic member to China. Um, they still find uh, a lot of trouble to get visas. So when we're talking about Africans in China, we need to pay attention to how Chinese categorize different nationalities and how easy for them is to get access to visas, right? So this is from the you know nation-state kind of uh, perspective. However, when we look at um, uh, particular pra African practices. Um, most individuals from, for instance, Angola, but also Senegal, Ghana, um, and Congo. Most individuals do, do not seem to overstay the visas. They're doing their business. They come to China uh, and they move back to Africa and then back to China again. So they are like more into transnational circuits of trade. Whereas a lot of Nigerians are coming to China and um, they're trying to look for opportunities. They're looking for success in China. And uh, many of them don't have any skill, especially the young ones. Many of them don't have very much, very many skills for trade. So many of them end up 
you know, overstaying, right? So Nigerians, amongst the African communities in Guangzhou, Nigerians are renowned for being the ones that overstay and that, to some extent, uh, affect the reputation of other African communities in terms of, of this. But that's interesting that you say that Nigerians are, are distinct from other African groups, and, and in part, that's be, you know, that's also similar in Africa as well, that Nigerians tend to be far more mobile, far more, uh, yeah. you know, ag- aggressive when it comes to business operations and setting up businesses and migratory yeah. in that sense. Yeah. Is that a, a fair assessment as well? Is that something kind of a characteristic of Nigerian culture? Yeah, and, you know, basically, I would say that 80% of the Nigerians that I have met in Guangzhou are basically Igbos. And Igbos, as you may know, have a long tradition of, you know, trade, but also they're always there, like, struggling and fighting and, and in many ways, always trying to succeed. And I think they're famous in Africa and also in Nigeria for this spirit. So um, most of them... Most of the Nigerians in China and in Guangzhou are, are Igbos and traders mainly. Why Guangzhou? That was a question that came up on our Facebook page. Uh, by the way, facebook.com slash China Africa Project. Kobus and I are there arguing almost every day. And one of the questions that came up was, why do Africans seem to migrate and congregate in the, in, in, in the southern Chinese city of Guangzhou, capital of Guangdong province? Well, the most simple answer is because Guangzhou has historically been uh, a point of uh, convergence between different traders in, in China for for centuries. So, um, you know, originally in the last 20 or 30 years, uh, a lot of Middle Eastern um, traders were coming to Guangzhou from Dubai and from other locations in the Middle East, and they were taking a lot of goods, a lot of goods, sorry, back to to Middle East, but also back to Africa. So at certain point, uh, especially Nigerians, but also Malians and Ghanians, started realizing that they could also come to the place where Middle Eastern uh, middlemen were doing their businesses. So in the end, that's why um, Africans ended up in Guangzhou, because Guangzhou is basically the, the mecca for uh for business and trade in, in China. So one thing that, that you, you mentioned that you, you worked a lot with these um, African community, you know, kind of organizations. Um, and one of the things that you that you mentioned very briefly in your post that, that I found very interesting was that there was this issues uh, relating to the, the election of the, of the Nigerian community leader. Um, I was wondering if you could expand a little bit on, on that and, and also give us an idea of, like, what role do these community organizations play? In this, in this, you know, kind of African expat community. Yeah. Well, you know, there's uh, at the moment um, there are some 30 national community offices in in, in Guangzhou. Um, the most important, or the most salient, or you know, the most um, famous one to, to to this point is the Nigerian, the office of the Nigerian community. Now, um, most of these communities, community offices, especially. Ghanian, Senegal, Ghana, Senegal, um, Congo, uh, um, which other one? Um, let me. Okay, just uh, Nigeria. Uh, are are community offices that are representing uh, their populations in, in uh, populations from the country in Guangzhou. So basically, in the case of Nigerian um, community office, the president of the Nigerian community office gets elected every three or four years. And this is interesting because um, 
the whole the whole procedure of electing the president is a democratic procedure amongst those Nigerians that are in the city. So by the time um, Ojuku Emma, that's the name of the current president, by the time he got elected last time, there was around 2,500 Nigerians in the city. Um, and, and they, according to what he told me, they voted, 99% of these individuals voted for him. So most other organizations are also going through uh, elections to, um, to elect the, the representatives. There's also, at this point, the, uh, the idea or the beginning of the idea to start organizing uh, like, a, you know, like a, micro, like a macro community office or like an, a pan-African community office that would deal with um, local authorities in the name of all Africans. But this is still a little bit contentious and, and not every community office from every country has uh, accepted and they, they are still doing some meetings about that. Now, what are the basic functions of community offices? And most community offices in Guangzhou have similar functions. First of all, um, they are there to solve problems. Now, originally, community offices emerged out of private companies. Um, private companies and the owners of those companies started representing um, their nationals back in 2002, 2003, 2004. But at certain point, there seemed to be a, a conflict of interests. So a lot of people started fighting intra-communities, and they decided that the community office, uh, in the case of Nigeria, but also in the case of Ghana, for instance, the community office needed to be outside the business sphere and needed to be uh, having three or four representatives from different companies or different, uh, you know, activities in the city that would be representatives within the community. So first thing that they do, and most importantly, is um, problem solving. Then um, they also do some, um, you know, certain cultural activities. Uh, for instance, the, the Office of the Nigerian Community told me that in the last Two or three months, they've been. They started organizing what they call the China Africa Family Forum, which is a space that they have created for trying to fix certain cultural misunderstandings between, um, you know, between husbands and wives in China, and to try to bring families together, Chinese and Nigerian families, and to try to make them understand what are the differences uh, in, you know, in their reactions or in their everyday life practices in terms of. Um, uh, of what they do and how they do it. So um, those are, I think that to, to a great extent, um, it's basically s problem solving and trying to bring uh, Chinese and African uh, African people closer in terms of, of understanding. One other thing that um, the Nigerian community started doing at certain point, and I think this is quite interesting, is that when Ojuku Ema became the president of the Nigerian community in 2008, uh, there seemed to be a lot of problems with Nigerians before that, and that was affecting a lot the reputation of Africans and black people, generally speaking, in the city. So Ojuku thought that the only way to start his, his position in office was to bring Nigerians into discipline or to organize, more, organize them and discipline them. So he created a group, a kind of a vigilante group that he called the peacekeepers, to try to, like, um, you know, clamp down on any Nigerian, but also on any African black person that was doing anything wrong in Guangzhou. And has, and it, has that, it worked? 
Has it been that effective? Group was work, that group was working for the first two or three years of his mandate in, in the city. And um, it's proven effective. And they actually clamped down on, on several individuals. And what they would do is either retain them for a while and take them to to police, to Chinese police, or to, you know, give them warnings, you're doing something wrong and this is affecting the community, so you better come, you know, in, in order or, or into discipline and, and stop doing that. So, um, no, you know, to, so... I'm sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, so sorry to interrupt you. Two two very yeah. quick questions before we, we wrap this up. And is in, in, in COBUS, one of the things that I'm hearing from Roberto is, you know, especially thinking about the, the immigration crisis that happened in Ghana earlier this year with Chinese gold miners who were overstaying visas and were kind of benefiting from a corrupt immigration system. Roberto, I'm wondering, you know, this ability for them to overstay their visas, is that because there is corruption? Is it because there's no enforcement? Is it because that uh, you know people just don't care? How is it possible that so many people can overstay their visas there? See, um, once you enter China, the the government loses loses control of people inside the country. But don't so foreigners very... have to register with the Gonganju with the Public Security Bureau? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. But the, the thing about people that Africans, especially that overstay in Guangzhou, is that. Uh, they overstay and they're all the time living in fear. They're all the time trying to, you know, evade police, escape from police checks. They're basically in a, in a very precarious situation in which they can get caught at any time and they don't have their papers right. So at any time they can get either taken to police stations or, um, you know, in more difficult situations they could even go to jail. So uh, they do have to register, as you said, but there's so many Africans in in. In Guangzhou, uh, living in so many different parts that the the you know the Kunganju or the police bureau doesn't have the capacity to check on every single one of them. So there's many of them that live with friends, a few, uh, a couple of them perhaps living together in a house or, or, or things like that, and and they don't actually have the need to register once they have overstayed. The other day, uh, and this is just as an anecdote, I I went to a soccer match, um, a soccer practice, sorry. And out of maybe 30 um, Nigerians that were there, maybe only three had right papers. And most of them had overstayed for several months up to a year. Um, many, many, many Africans in Guangzhou, especially the ones, the ones that have been for many, many years in, in the city, at different points of their, of their journeys there, uh, have overstayed. And, and they are always hoping or waiting for the time in which they're going to be able to fix the situation. Yeah. Uh, now, one, one other thing that I would like to mention about this that is quite complex is that the, according to, to the local and national uh, entry-exit regulations, People that overstay their visas get get into a sort of a catch-22 because they're not able to leave the country. And even if they go to the police or even if they go to the airport trying to go out of the country, they would not be allowed to leave because their visas, because they have overstayed. But then at the same time, they're always afraid of trying to go out because uh, in case they have overstayed, they might go, may, they might end up in jail. So there's this, this thing of like, you want to leave, but you cannot leave. And then you're forced to overstay and keep overstaying because you are in fear of going to jail. And this is ridiculous. Yeah, it's very interesting. Kobus, you know, I'd like to get some final thoughts from you on what you what we've heard from Roberto, the, you know, today in terms of, 
you know, how does it compare with what we've been talking about in the African context? And that is that so many migrants, Chinese migrants, have come to Africa looking for for better lives and looking to make money, looking to send home money. You know, very similar reasons why these African migrants have gone to China. What are some of the the, the similarities and differences that you're hearing? Well, the first big similarity that I that I see here is that the Chinese government has limited capabilities to keep track of people. So the same way that they lose track of people within China, they also lose track of Chinese citizens who, who move to Africa. And frequently they don't know how many people, how many Chinese there are. And if, the, if those people avoid registering with the embassy, then the embassy loses track of where they are and who they are. So I think that that's a big issue. The other thing is also the um, the power of, um, of community organizations and the power of these you know, kind of these community organizations try to to register people. They try to uh, to build relations with with the locals. Um, you know, and and it's 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 very. It'll be very interesting for someone to to do a study comparing those. You know, kind of the Chinese organizations in Africa and the African organizations in China, and to see what they do differently. Yeah. And, and you know, yeah. because because there's a lot of um, also you know kind of a discussion within some of these these communities in in Africa about the the need to stamp out. Crime and the need to keep the, the image of the community, you know, kind of healthy in, in you know in the larger community and so on. So it's, it's very interesting to hear. That's very interesting. Well, that unfortunately is all the time that we have. We could go on for hours with you, Roberto, because the the discussion is so absolutely fascinating. We're going to have a couple more podcasts with you. Uh, so uh, so if you're looking, if you're interested in this topic and you want to kind of find out more on this subject, definitely kind of keep uh, keep an eye out for some more podcasts. Do a search for them. Uh, in the meantime, if you want to follow Roberto's research. He's got a, a, a truly excellent blog over at AfricansInChina.net. And, uh, Roberto, one of the things that we do at the end of every show is we kind of guide people to, if they want to follow you and kind of stay on top of what you're reading and what you're doing, uh, where can they find you uh, on, on the Internet? Well, as you said, I'm in AfricansInChina.net, uh, and I'm also on Twitter as Castillo Rocas. That's C-A-S-T-I-L-L-O-R-O-C-A-S. And I'm also on Twitter as Africans in China. But, and and let me add this, and I I hope this isn't, I'm not overstepping a bound here. You've also got a fantastic Instagram feed where you actually take pictures of your time in Guangzhou and and obviously in Hong Kong and things like that. Uh, What's your Instagram uh, name that people want to follow some of the photos you're My Instagram name is exactly the same one as my Twitter name. Uh, okay, so uh, so look for Roberto on Instagram as well. I, I'm following you now, so hopefully we'll give you a, a few extra followers. Uh, Kobus, uh, where uh, where can people find you and what you're doing at uh, the University of the Witz Vaderswan? I am on um, I'm on our Facebook page, you know, kind of where you'll see my name in brackets when I respond to commenters. I'm also on Twitter at Stadenesque, that's S-T-A-D-E-N-E-S-Q-U-E. And also at the University of the Witwatersrand, um, the Department of Media Studies is busy setting up a, a big new fancy blog, so I'll let you know as soon as that's up. And Witz has the China-Africa reporting project, of course, as well, right? Yes, and yes. So, uh, so uh, it's going to take me a couple more weeks to get the name down. Um, uh, you can follow me. I'm over at uh, on Twitter at eolander, E-O-L-A-N-D-E-R, and I'm tweeting the top China-Africa headlines uh, almost every day. And, of course, uh, on Facebook, uh, posting. We're basically, you and I, Cobus, have got this thing down to where we've got about 18 hours of the day, almost every two hours, putting out yeah. uh, headlines and discussions. So it's uh, from Asia to Africa. We've got uh, we've got it covered. And so uh, Facebook at facebook.com slash China. 
China Africa project. Of course, if you want to follow this podcast, best way to do it is over on iTunes, but you can also find us on SoundCloud. We're on Stitcher. Um, we're on the BlackBerry Network, and I don't have any idea how long that's going to last for. So, uh, so we're still on BlackBerry Network for the 15 of you using a BlackBerry, uh, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. So drop us an email, drop us a note uh, via Twitter or any of the other social networking uh, channels that we're on. Uh, until our next show, thank you so much for listening.